7: I wonder who's sitting in for Rob Parker. Oh, never mind. I'm Martin Weiss. We're on the Odd Couple. That's Bernie (laughs) Fratto over there. Bernie, we're coming to you live from the Fox Sports Radio studios. And the thing is, we just talked. To your friend, my new friend, Lakers Whisperer, as I had deemed him, Mark Medina, who is just all. It, I mean, like I told him as he left, it's dark in Lakerland, but he's plugged in like a light. He's got all the insight, all of it, and just you know, between Russell Westbrook and he's got irreconcilable differences with his agent, but apparently not irreconcilable differences with LeBron and Anthony Davis. As apparently last week they had a phone call, which obviously happened prior to the firing of Russell's agent, but they had a phone call. That said, should Westbrook be on the Lakers? They're all committed to going ahead and trying to win a championship going forward. Now, now Bernie... I know that the Russell Westbrook story is is one that never ends. And, and it will never end until he ends up ultimately either on the Lakers or off of the Lakers. So again, it'll never it'll never ever end. But the story that has persisted in the last 10-15 years of the NBA, it's one of LeBron James. He is the main subject, he is the topic, he is one A, right? And so what we have seen in LeBron in LeBron's history is 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 he is uh, I'll call him a petty king. He's always subtweeting. He's always sending a message. He's always doing something or so. And I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's just the way the man operates. And at this point, you'd be silly to think that he's not sending a message with this Drew League uh, appearance on Saturday on Saturday afternoon.
8: So when we talked to Mark Medina uh, about half an hour ago, you brought up the name Darvin Ham, and I'm glad you did. Hold that thought because – Holding. Yeah, and and I want to reset this because I want to uh, give a, a, a I want to put my two cents in on Russell Westbrook uh, and why he's never won a ring and he probably never will. And you and I both agree, Martin, the door is closing fast on the Lakers. They, LeBron wants to win a championship this year, correct? This year, you're oh, yeah. you, okay. So here's the situation. I, as I said a couple hours ago, I'm not a Russell Westbrook hater. I think he's a very entertaining player. Uh, and I will give an analysis based on what I perceive to be his play style, his past results, and his you know what I assume is likely to happen in the future. So when you look at the fact that at one time Russell Westbrook was one of the most explosive point guards to ever play the game, I mean, nine-time All-Star, scoring champ, right? Averaged a triple-double for a, an entire season, all of those things. At some point, you have to ask yourself, why can't the guy win a championship and these are my reasons these are my opinions number one he's a guy he's proven he really isn't capable of being the alpha or the number one guy to lead a team to a championship like LeBron uh, like a Kobe uh, like like an Isaiah Thomas okay his high ball usage rate, and, and let's, let's not mince words here. Russell Westbrook has a very overinflated ego. It's never going to allow him to be an efficient number two. He proved that while he was Houston. There's a reason he's been on his fourth team in four years. So can Russ win a championship as a role-playing veteran, a guy who's past his prime? I don't think so, which leads me to wonder what the hell is really going on here. Now, here's why I'm glad you brought up Marvin Ham, uh, Darvin Ham. In Mark Medina's article, which came out Thursday, the Q&A with Jeannie Buss, one of the first questions he asked Jeannie Buss had to do with the decision to hire Darvin Ham, and what input would he have? And Jeannie's answer, I believe, was she really thought that once he put his head together with Rob Palenka and they decided to purposefully put together a roster that could win, but that roster was going to have to be the way that Marvin, that Darwin Ham wants the team to play. So here's the question. How does Darwin Ham want the team to play? I mean, the way he's going to however he wants the
7: team to play, it's going to have to have those three guys coexisting because the thing is in this salary cap sport, you can't have literally cannot have Russell Westbrook, I should shouldn't say literally, but it's going to be really, really, really hard to win when so much of your salary cap is tied up in a guy like Russ and if he's not putting it out there and uh, putting out the, the result, right? You need you, If he's getting the output of that pay, he needs to input some of these points, rebounds, and assists and have them result in wins. But I, I, I just think it's fascinating that LeBron goes – and in the Drew League, which is not it's not abnormal for professional athletes to, or pro players to go play in the Drew League. Again, like Mark said, DeMar DeRozan was on the court. Casper Ware, another guy who never played in the NBA but has played professionally overseas, was also on LeBron's team. These guys are no slouches, right? This is the type of run that I feel like we'd see. Are are, are probably comparable to what we would see. We've seen in 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 off seasons prior, where LeBron would would be somewhere at a a lifetime gym, and you see him playing against like Trey Young and James Harden and so on and so forth. Obviously, but those guys are much better. But it's a level. It's the idea. The idea of LeBron playing pickup ball in the summer is not crazy. But the idea of LeBron playing pickup ball in the Drew in front of all those people, knowing it's going to be. Andy, it used to be the world's greatest trivia question, what are the, I mean, Bernie rather, I'm sorry, I just read a letter from Andy Furman and it completely distracted me. But uh, it used to be the world's biggest uh, trivia question, what are the two days in the American calendar without major games? Well, yeah, I it, talked about this earlier, yeah. Exactly. So when would the two days in which LeBron James playing in the Drew League is going to garner attention? I mean, obviously, every day. But if there's ever a day, this is the type of situation. This will be the time to do it. Well, I just find it. uh, I don't think that anything he does is just happenstance and random. So I'm always trying to peel back the layers of the onion of this calculation. And I think this is a message to the Lakers front office. I'm in good shape. I look great.
8: Do you want to win a title? Because I do. No, no doubt about that. Uh, But there's there's an elephant in the room here that won't go away. You 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 said it at the top. Westbrook's th- This whole subject matter won't die. And frankly, uh, I'm not going to pull punches here, Martin. I think the Lakers have been publicly propping up Westbrook because that's in the franchise's best interest, right? The Lakers are, are a team of great image, and their perception is one of the most star-friendly organizations in basketball. They want to keep that they got a guy who I think is a good chance, Russell Westbrook, he's on his way to being on five teams in five years. And one of the things we haven't talked about here in the last couple of minutes is he fires his, Russell Westbrook, fires his agent of 14 years. And not only does Russell Westbrook do that uh, Friday night, I've never seen a situation where an agent writes a long letter like that. And if you read between the lines, Martin, we're both journalists, he very much hinted, Russell Westbrook's lack of self-awareness regarding his situation. He 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 basically intimated, Thad Foucher intimated, Russell Westbrook really has not accepted the fact that his prime is way back in the rearview mirror. He very much has limitations in his game. He can't play defense. That's going to make him difficult to be part of a team that has higher aspirations than not getting to the playoffs or losing in the first round of the playoffs. The second thing is, Foucher, in the language, because I went back and reread that, you got to read it a couple times, Martin. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, that, yeah. Okay. The other thing that that, that really fr- kind of jumped at me is it appears, based on what Thad Faucher is writing, he's intimating that Russell Westbrook really doesn't want to adhere to Darvin Ham's vision for him. And, you know, the the notion of Russell Westbrook becoming a defensive first point guard who plays more off the ball than he did last season, come on, man. You really think that's going to happen? We don't know what Russell Westbrook's projected role would be this season, but it didn't work last season, and Russell Westbrook doesn't really impress me as the guy who's going to be a role player. So this is becoming increasingly awkward, increasingly odd, and uh, I, I hearken back to Rob Palenka, because I think last week they were close to the deal. I think they were, uh, there were a lot of people said it was imminent, right? Dar, uh, Kyrie Irving for Westbrook. But Rob Palenka didn't want to pay the price. A couple, dra- couple first-round draft picks, some of which five years away, maybe work out taking the Joe Harris salary off their hands. But then you get Kyrie, who LeBron wants very much. Does he want Westbrook? Will you tell me they didn't even sit together at the Summer League. So this keeps cropping up, and so when we see Chris Haynes' report, top credit to him because you've got to tell the whole story. People can make up their minds. All this has done, Martin, is add more confusion to this story than I've ever seen. And like we joked about earlier, we're both from Michigan. You don't like the weather? What do you do, Martin? Wait five minutes. It'll change. Same with his stupid story.
7: I mean, like you said, the dry cleaners are in full effect. The spin cycle is out, especially, I mean, from Genie, And, I mean, Mark, Mark had Genie's angle from it. Now Chris Haynes is coming with rushes. And Thad Fauche is letting, are letting everybody know, hey, look, I tried to get the best. Because that's something that is It's the real interesting thing here is the agent's statement. And for all the reasons you just laid out, but like just to, to peel it back, if you're not familiar, agents work for the players, not the other way around, right? So it's 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 Thad Foucher's job to try to get the best deal for Russell Westbrook, and so what. what, what the, essentially, what he's saying with the irreconcilable differences is, he's like, the best deal is the one that you don't want to take, Russ. So I'm right. not going to continue that's right. as an agent. I can't. I'm not going to. I'm not going to operate in this situation because I'm trying to get you the best deal for you, and you can't see it. Is ostensibly, I'm translating that uh, uh, PR statement speak into you know, what I'm saying into real folk language. But that's what that says. It says, Russ, you don't see that the best situation for you is right here, even though I mean you. Can could go. It could be rock or hard place, but it's like Russ is dealing with rock or jump off cliff. He's like, I'm just
8: running. You know, the rock is probably better off to be on. It may be uncomfortable, but it's probably better. Well, there's one other message that this breakup between uh, Westbrook and his agent sends. It really creates the impression that Russell Westbrook is going to become increasingly difficult to deal with. If he can't get along with his agent of 14 years, the guy who negotiated his max deal, how is he going to get along with Coach Ham? What if Darvin asks him to do something that he doesn't want to do? Do you realize, Martin, we could be heading towards a scenario where the Lakers can't trade Westbrook, Westbrook they, they can't find a way to get on the floor without things getting screwed up, or they find themselves in a situation where, okay, what the hell, go home, we'll pay you, but you sit home, and they'll pay him almost $50 million to sit home. It's happened before, and I will tell you, This could happen with Russell Westbrook because every time there's a news breaking issue, the situation seems to get more confusing and uglier. And see, that's the reason why I feel like LeBron was at the Drew putting up 40-something points,
7: showing the Lakers organization. I feel good. We can't waste this year. Right. Do you think that LeBron was trying to send a message to the Lakers with his performance at the Drew League? And if so, what was that message? 877-996-6369. We'll continue the conversation with your calls next. 877-996-6369. Martin Weiss, Bernie Fry
4: Oh,
7: that's right. That's right. It's the odd couple. Martin Weiss, Bernie Fratto, in for Robin Quist. Dealing with a dead battery? Head to AutoZone, America's number one battery destination. They offer free battery services like free battery testing, free battery charging. So the next time you're having battery trouble, head to AutoZone, your battery solution, and America's number one battery destination. Bernie. LeBron James, in my opinion, used the Drew League to send a message to the yeah. to the Lakers front office, the Lakers management, to say this is not going to be a wasted year in Los Angeles for at least that basketball team. I feel like the Lakers need to get, make something happen. I feel like LeBron going and playing in the Drew League was one of the things that they tried to like to, to, to that he did to try to motivate the team to show them that he was good, good to go going forward uh, this season. Now. Earlier this season, the Los Angeles Dodgers pulled Clayton Kershaw from a start in which he was, I believe, perfect, at least had a no hitter going, but pulled him because he was at his pitch level. He was coming back from rehab. Uh, and, and, you know, at the time, Kershaw said he was fine with that. Then in his last outing, was, I want to say, perfect through uh, through seven and two-thirds against the the Angels and uh, ended up not completing that perfect game and ended up getting pulled, didn't finish the game. However, had a masterful pitching performance, and he's going to be your all-star game starter for the National League.
8: Well, I think you have to. Uh, I think they set it up this way so that the rotation would work. Uh, He's on his way to the Hall of Fame. And whenever you have – remember, this is a showcase for Major League Baseball. It's a three-day convention. The game has become an exhibition and a showcase. That's it. So if you've got an opportunity to march uh, Clayton Kershaw out there in front of his Hometown fans, by all means, I think you have to do it. As a matter of fact, I've heard some folks comment on the, you know, people that I trust comment on the situation. The Angels should have done the same thing with, Sho- with uh, Shohei Ohtani if they would have wanted to bad enough. Now you got two Southern California teams only an hour apart from each other, not even that far apart, always been a rival. You'd have Ohtani for the Angels and, uh, and Kershaw for the Dodgers. It's something the fans would have really wanted to see, would have gotten very good ratings. So I think it's maybe a false equivalency that you pull him in a game where there's a perfect game because they're monitoring pitches and he's coming off surgery and coming off an injury versus the fact he'll probably go out and face three hitters and that'll be about it.
7: Well, uh the reason why I brought it up in that way, I tend to agree with you. I don't think it's I think it's not much to do about nothing. Go out there and throw 12 pitches and call it a day, but however the Anaheim uh, the Los Angeles Anaheim Angels and Otani, they're deciding to go ahead and not pitch him at all because mm-hmm. of his rest and 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 uh, you know, I don't have a good reason. There's his rest, I guess. The Angels suck. Well, why don't you just go ahead and run
8: them? <laughs> well, they, they, that's an asset, and I think they're very concerned about, about you know, Joey Otani's future there because they're wasting this guy, and he wants to win. And when free agency rolls around, uh, clearly he's going to have, uh, have quite a market. Uh, I but, think so. But, but, but I'm in agreement yeah. with you because nothing against – Shane McClanahan, right? He's leading the majors this season in ERA with a 1.7, that's amazing. Uh, he's you know he's been terrific for, for Tampa Bay. He's a guy who's had, you know, come out of the gate and done well, but he doesn't have the same juice as Shohei or as Clayton Kershaw. So your point, this is all about star power and I think it makes sense that Kershaw is the starting uh, you know, the all-star starting game pitcher. This is what fans want to see.
7: I mean, yeah, I, 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 that's the whole point of these games. That's why the home run derby is happening right at this moment. And, and this is a disgusting moment in which Albert Pujols hit 13 home runs and just got like, serenaded. It's, Bernie, it's one of my least favorite things in sports. It's one of my least favorite things in sports when we when we bury active competitors. He's out there. He still has a chance. Like You know what I'm saying? He's still competing on a daily basis. Let's give him his flowers after he retires. But we do have some calls on the line talking about LeBron. Um, I want to go to Andre in Massachusetts. Andre, what you have about LeBron playing at the Drew? What's your take?
5: Yeah, LeBron playing at the Drew, you know, he's trying to rekindle, you know, that old fire. You know, trying to bring back that glory days feel. He was actually in South Carolina today out there to support uh, Bronny James Jr. Who played very well today,
7: by the way. Bronny James Jr. had had a good game.
5: Yeah, 28 points, gave him, you know, six assists, three three rebounds. Bronny James was balling. Didn't get the win, but it was a very good showing. And I think the whole energy, just LeBron being there, was outstanding. And that's something that people, I referee youth sports, LeBron doing those things, I don't care if he gets in the layup lines, it brings such a spirit and energy and appreciation, so it's just a win-win across the board, but again, LeBron doing these things, I mean, it's year 20, and he is the man of steel, but he has to kind of find ways to re-motivate himself and keep himself uh, in good spirits, in terms of the situation with Russell Westbrook and and Kyrie, um, LeBron knows full well Jeannie Buss has put her foot down. Okay, And they're not getting that second, first-round pick. And so it's at a standstill. And it might work to their benefit because we saw how Kyrie did, Said he was going to be at the Drew League. He actually ended up at the Mamba Academy, which is all good and well supporting the, you know the young people. But if you say you're going to be one place, Kyrie, you probably should be there. And that's what he's going to be next year, wherever he is. So it's probably in the Lakers' best interest that they have Westbrook because he's much more dependable, even though he's not as good as a shooter, than Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving helps you on paper. Russell Westbrook will probably help you in real life. So LeBron kind of sees that. And he's mending fences, the consummate administrator, GM, GM, conglomerate, billionaire that he, that he is, so that's how I think he's trying to, he, he realizes this, this is the bed he has to sleep in, so it might as well be as good as it can be. guys thanks for taking my call, have a good night.
8: Alright, good stuff, you know what's interesting is uh, a lot of folks poo-pooed Kyrie not showing he told the commissioner he'd be there, and I know he was coaching uh, girls basketball and such but regardless, you say you're going to be there, you're going to be there let's squeeze in another call, let's go out to MJ in New Orleans, MJ thanks for joining us tonight, you're on Fox Sports Radio, welcome to The Odd Couple
1: Hey, what's going on? What's up, man? Hey, I got – I'm sorry. I got another something going on with my phone, and I I can't hear you guys. I'm sorry.
7: All right. Well, we don't have MJ. He had a message from Russell Westbrook.
8: I'm really curious uh, to know what it would have been. Go ahead, Bernie. Real quick, quick, uh, Martin, last time I I ran a tongue from that place. Look, you brought this up at the top of the show, and the more I think about it, the more I kind of think you're right, that LeBron was sending a message that look at me – I'm 38. I'm not normal. I, I, I feel like I'm 24. This is one last chance. Do we want to run it back with Russ when we know it didn't work? Or do you want to bring in a guy that I worked together with in Cleveland in 2016? We not only won a championship, we beat the Golden State Warriors, who were 73-9 that year. And this trade was so close three days ago. And you're going to really let this get pissed away because, A, of a disagreement as far as draft compensation, B, the fact that they want the Lakers to take shooting guard Joe Harris, who is recovered from ankle surgery, and the Lakers gonna to have to figure out what to do with that thirty-eight million dollar salary, or you're gonna really hold down and, and, and try to get Seth Curry instead in his eight million dollar salary. So between Joe Harris and, a, and draft compensation, that could that could prevent the Lakers from getting Kyrie Irving, and I think that's what's sticking in LeBron's craw. And he, I, Martin, I think you're right. He showed up showed out Saturday night just showing that he was healthy, showing that he's vibrant, showing that, hey, this could be our last shot here in L.A. What do you want to do with it? If you give me Kyrie, remember, it's LeBron, Kyrie, and Anthony Davis. That's a pretty good trio.
7: I mean, it's hard to beat that big three. Um, we have Clayton Kershaw starting in the All-Star game. Otani is not pitching in the All-Star Game. The baseball conversation will roll on with somebody who knows well about playing in baseball All-Star Games, Larry Sorensen. He joins us next, but
6: first. Be sure to catch live editions of The Odd Couple with Chris Broussard and Rob Parker weekdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app.
4: I mean,
7: uh, I'm sorry for distracting you initially right there with my Soto pick, but Schwarber, I mean, this is the one versus the eight matchup right here. That's the
3: lowest numbers, these two, in the uh, first round. I mean,
7: if I know this, if I had, I mean, Schwarber was like two to one to win this uh, earlier, uh, and and Pulo was like 24 to one. If I had Schwarber tied up in anything right now, I'm, I'm losing my gambling mind, Steve. Let me tell you that. If I had Schwarber. Because this is, I mean, who had this? I mean, he's going to advance maybe. This is crazy.
3: Schwarber is going to be, what, seven down when he takes the batter's box in just a moment because Pujols has just finished up. So 20-13 to 13 for the moment. I mean, I
7: tell you, that's wild. But we're coming back, coming to you live from the Fox Sports Radio studios. It's the Odd Couple: Martin Weiss, Bernie Fratto, filling in for Rob Parker and Chris Broussard. I'm sure Rob Parker is probably somewhere uh, in Angel, I mean, in Dodger Stadium right now, trying to shag fly balls from Albert Pools. But one guy who knows much, much more about baseball All Star games than both me and Bernie, Larry Sorensen. Thanks for coming on the show. No,
1: oh, a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, Rob is. Chasing some baseball somewhere, we go a ways back
8: too. <laughs> yeah, Larry, good to be with you. And I think obviously you know a thing or two about all star games. You retired nine hitters in a row in the '78 all star game, four of which were Hall of Famers. Here's what's interesting: Brian Snitker, the National League manager, chose Clayton Kershaw for obvious reasons over Sandy Alcantara, who's actually the best, you know, probably the best pitcher of the first half of the season. How has the all star game changed from when you played? Do do the two leagues have the pride about winning anywhere near the way they used to?
1: I'm not sure it's as competitive as it used to be, but you know the players know each other so much better and the players change teams more often now than they used to. So you have guys that you played with uh, a lot more frequently than they used to back in my day. But uh, it's still a great display, a great spectacle. The Home Run Derby, although I'm a little bit twitchy, I'm sitting here watching it <laughs> very anxiously. It's been fun to watch, and, and it's great for the fans. You know, it's great entertainment.
7: So when – you. What- you know, this is uh, and Bernie's made reference to it a few times. Sorry for stealing your thunder here, champ, but he's made reference a few times about how we covered the 2005 home run derby and Bobby Abreu, who was just the second half of the season was never the same. Uh, was that something that you were concerned about going into All Star games and All Star breaks? That uh, if you did a little too much in the All Star festivities, that the second half of the season might might be impacted in some way.
1: Well, oh, you know, they had a uh, three-inning maximum that you could pitch in the All-Star game, and Jim Palmer went two and two-thirds, got relieved, and he and he and then Matt Kiel threw a, a third of an inning. His spot came up in the lineup, and I came in and threw three. And Billy Martin had told me that I was going to be the long man. I said, "Well, you can only you know you can only pitch three innings." I had seventeen complete games that year, and I said, three innings is you know that's just a little bullpen session," but uh, <laughs> no, not really. Because, you know, I was I was 22 years old, man, and, and so I was I didn't even know half the guys that I was walking around with. I was just kind of in a fog the entire three days. But uh, it was the year that Dave Winfield in San Diego brought out the Winfield Pavilion and we had the workout, which was one of the first times they did that. So uh, it, it was a great experience.
8: Talking with Larry Sorensen, 10-year major league pitcher, former broadcaster as well, Retired nine men straight nine men straight in the uh, 1978 All-Star Game, uh, of which I believe f- at least four were Hall of Famers. You talk about Billy Martineau. I get the feeling right. Billy would have left you in for six or seven innings if he could have. But I love <laughs> the story you tell about how, ironically, the first guy hit a dribbler and you didn't get to first base quite in time, and you look up, and Billy's got, I think, Jim Kern warming up in the bullpen, and that's <laughs> how bad he wanted to win, but you processed that. What were, what were the thoughts going through your head as a first-time All-Star?
1: Well, first of all, I was kicking myself for not covering first base a little bit better. I also thought that it was an easy ground ball to second base. Frank White was playing second. He would have had the ball pretty easily, but, um, you know, that's the way that goes. It, it was It's just you know i've been watching a lot of the festivities, and there are a lot of first time players there and There are a lot of the veteran guys that are saying you know we 're watching the first timers and seeing how much they enjoy it, and remembering the first time that uh, they went to the game, you know the Pooh and the guys like that that have been there a number of times. And it's, it's, a little, it's just overwhelming because there is so much going on. You know, for a lot of the players, it's people that you grew up watching that are still there. You know, I love the fact that they brought Puholtz and Cabrera in to uh, play in the game. And Puholtz, obviously, is representing himself very, very well tonight. So, uh, you know, to be honored by your peers, and with your peers, And to have that kind of an experience really is mind-blowing. And when you're young, like a lot of these players are, you you just got to soak it all in and remember it. And remember that it's not going to be that easy every year, too. So I don't know if you've heard,
7: there's a new change in this year's All Star Game, if it is tied with three outs in the bottom of the ninth, they going. There's no tenth inning. They're going to go into a home run derby. You said already that your skin was crawling just a little bit watching tonight. And I can imagine so as a former pitcher. <laughs> How do you feel about the idea that we're just that they're changing it to a home run derby? And it's supposed to be the best three for the AL and the NL are going to go and battle it out in that way on Saturday. Man, if I'm it's still tough. trying
1: to adjust to a man on second base in extra. <laughs> now Gosh. they throw this twist at him. You know, it's hard to keep up with. But you know what? It's game changes. And and you adjust. Either you adjust or you get left behind. And, and that's what baseball is all about is making adjustments. And so you just keep figuring out ways to reinvent things. It's, it's the battle of you making changes versus a hitter not making the changes. And you're always adjusting in the game, and it's just another thing to deal with. I can't say that I'm crazy about that concept, but, um, you know, give the fans what they want. It's a it's a relatively meaningless exhibition game, and uh, so you do it in L.A., half the people are going to be gone anyway. So,
8: Talking with 10-year Major League veteran Larry Sorensen, I believe he had like 280 innings that year in 78, so three three innings, hell, that's nothing, man. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that was a day off. That's a walk in the park. Larry, i got to bring this up because I talked about it Saturday night. One of the most memorable All-Star Game events was obviously 50 years ago when Pete Rose had dinner at Ray Fosty's house, and then the next night they knocked him into oblivion, leading the <laughs> National League to a, a victory. You know, you, I know you knew Ray and played with him. I don't think he was ever quite the same, and, and we both know Pete a little bit. Look, long and short of it is, break that down for the folks How much was that talked about among your peers over the next few years because it's something no one will ever forget?
1: You know, I think that's really when we started taking a look at uh, some of the different rules. You know, we we've got the the uh, Buster Posey rule now at home plate, but I think I think that really started people thinking about baseball. Maybe is a game of a little bit more context. And you know, those things happen so fast, Bernie. You don't you don't know what's going on half the time. So many baseball plays happen so quickly. Their sure. reactions. And you're not thinking about what you're doing, you know. You think Chris Sale wanted to get a broken finger hit by a line drive, and you stick a bare hand up to try to catch a ball that's coming back at you just because that's your natural reaction, you know. And you don't have time to think anything through. So in retrospect, I think Pete's sorry that he did it. Ray, you're exactly right, was never the same. He was hurting. I played with him right at the end of his career in Milwaukee, and he was hurting even then. And uh, it definitely made a difference in his career, no question.
7: You know, you, you say you don't want you didn't think Chris Sale was planning on breaking his hand going after that ball. I feel you. But he was socking uh, signs down there at a triple i uh, I'm going to mess, mess it up. Worcester, Wor- Wor- Worcester. I don't know, the triple the, the A affiliate Worcester. for the boss. Yeah, Wooster. There you go. <laughs> I can't get it right. But you, you mentioned that you, you you're still getting used to a guy on second base. Uh, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a couple years since since you've retired, Larry. I'm I'm just curious with all the new. Adva- I'm old. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, I'll say you're old. But with all the new uh, advancements, quote unquote, or, or the, the changes, I should say, they're deemed as advancements. Do you feel as such? Which one do you like the best? Which one do you like the least?
1: Well, you know, I worked really, really fast because uh, I I believe that it upset the hitter's timing and he didn't like it. So when pitchers are taking a long time to throw the ball, I'm not against the the, uh, the clock to to speed the pitchers up. On the other hand, I think that they have to do something to keep the hitters in the box as well. I don't understand why when you take a pitch, you need to readjust your gloves. You didn't swing. All you did was hold the bat. Why do you need to readjust your gloves three times after, after you stood there and watched the ball go by you? Um, you know, I'm all for the pace of the game keeping keeping the game moving quickly. I think that metrics in a lot of ways have helped players become better players and the analytics when you can see the factual information that a throw or a swing produces and you can use it to analyze yourself and make yourself better. That's what players have done for years and years and years. We just didn't quite have the same precision that they have in today's game. So there are a lot of good things to the game that are going on you know the the pie slice you can stick in your back pocket I don't get that I don't <laughs> I'm not necessarily against the shift because keep the players in the field of play and if it works to your advantage you can make it work that way so be it you look for any edge you can get
7: Larry I love it thanks so much for joining us here on the odd couple I mean and, and and go blue by the way you and me both Michigan oh. both Michigan grad
1: Oh, well, you're a grad. I'm on the 46-year plan at the moment. Well, you know what? Hey, at least
7: <laughs> hey, I'm still I'll be paying mine off for the next 46 years. So, I think you got the right end of that one. But coming up Thanks, Larry. <laughs> yeah. Come, thanks, Larry. But coming up, you won't believe this, but it sounds like Deshaun Watson is getting ready to play the victim card. We'll get into that next. It's The Odd Couple, Martin Weiss, Bernie Frado, and for Chris and Rob on Fox Sports Radio.
6: Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live.
7: It's the Odd couple, Martin Weiss, Bernie Freddo, for Rob, and Chris DJ, Alex playing some smooth tunes. I thought we were I thought you were trying to sell something, bro. I promise. But I will right now. We could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem your credit card rewards, or we could talk about how with Discover you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, talk about amazing. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards terms apply. Bernie. Deshaun Watson is mm-hmm. at the is at the highlight of the news. We had Dan Lust earlier on the show talking about the, the potential outcomes of the of the of the Deshaun Watson uh scenario and circumstance as he is in all types of legal hot water, and it seemingly will come to a not resolution necessarily, but a conclusion of this period of of, of guessing, and then who knows what in six games, sixteen games, or seventeen games now with the seventeen game season. Who knows? But what we do know is that if it is a seventeen game suspension, if Deshaun Watson is suspended for the entire season, sources say that Deshaun Watson will be taking that lawsuit or attempting to take that lawsuit into federal court if that suspension does come down in such a way.
8: Yeah, that was reported uh, by the New York Post. Let's draw a parallel because back in 2015, when Tom Brady got in trouble for the deflate gate situation and he was assessed a four-game suspension uh, stemming from the whole deflated football situation, uh, he didn't get the result he wanted. So what he did, he sued and he took it up. In, uh, in federal court, and won uh, Judge Richard Berman, uh, nullifying the ban. And what that did was buy Brady an additional year. So Brady took the league to court right before the season started in 2015, and then it got overturned, and Brady ended up serving his four-game suspension at the beginning of the 2016 season. Uh, but Brady's legal team found a couple of legal loopholes having to do with believing he wasn't warned, and there were certain penalty issues that weren't compliant. A lot's happened since then, and we've got a whole new CBA. We've got a whole new player conduct policy, but be that as it may, here's the operative thing, Martin, that you just brought up. If, in fact, Deshaun Watson is... He ends up getting suspended for a full season, which I still think is a legit possibility. Maybe 50-50, maybe 40%, but it's still a legit possibility. Uh, Then his team has indicated they will sue. They will sue and bring this to court. Now, the bottom line is I don't get this one because... Deshaun Watson's salary with the Browns this season is a measly $1 million, slightly over, like $1,035,000. And they structured it that way with the expectation that he was going to receive a lengthy suspension in 2022. He's got a fully guaranteed five-year, $230 million contract. His salary jumps to $46 million a year in 2023. So here's the part I don't get. Why would you cut off your nose to spite your face? If you end up next year in the same situation, you might buy one year... But next year, you're going to be paid $46 million. So what are you going to accomplish if you get to play this year but don't get to play next year?
7: Well, I'll tell you this, Bernie. I don't think you accomplish much, and you're right. You might be cutting off your nose to spite your face. But if that's one thing – well, my father taught me this. You can get sued for just about anything. He's a lawyer, okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. And if it's one thing that I've noticed in following the NFL's lawsuits and so on and so forth, they want to settle. Now, why do they want to settle? That's a rhetorical question. They don't want to settle – because as soon as you – once you decide to proceed and go forth with these lawsuits, all of a sudden this is a thing called discovery. And what happens in discovery? Anything can happen in discovery. Everything is on the floor. Anything can come out. You don't know. And so, like, especially when you have these the NFL, which is a super big entity with all types of moving parts and tentacles and reach out and everywhere – they don't want to go to discovery. So that's –
8: I think it's just a bit of posturing on Deshaun Watson's part. Final thought on this. Uh, I think both sides are trying to come to a decision where there's no appeal and make can go away. But a couple hours ago I got a text from a mole I trust very, very much saying keep an eye on the NFL and the Houston Texans. The NFL may well open up an investigation on the Houston Texans and how complicit they were given their settlement last Friday.
7: And, you know, the Houston Texans, a lot of that was the, the Houstonian – that's. (laughs) Sean Watson's number one spot. A lot of that, the Houston Texans with the people taking care of that room, according to some reports. It's going to be a very interesting thing coming out. However, Bernie, it's been a blessing and an honor to host the Airways with you. Robin, for Robin, Chris, it's the couple on Fox Sports Radio.
0: Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play?